Well, before I get started, I would like to tell you it's a privilege to be here. Also, please pray for uh, the ongoing problems with the believers in Afghanistan and those that have been able to get out of the country visas for uh, other countries where they will be uh, safer. Also, pray for the believers in Ukraine right now who are suffering greatly. And um, there's a possibility of a base opening up in Sicily where they will take in refugees. And uh, we have a, it's an abandoned, I think, NATO base. We have a, we've rented the church there for 90 years. So if they put in a thousand Ukraines, we need to get a Ukrainian preacher down there to uh, pastor them. So there's a lot going on. Um, Today, I would like to talk to you about two very important aspects in the theology of prayer. One is the sovereignty of God, and the other is, by God's Spirit, us being given a sense of urgency and impulse to pray, and how we need to keep both of those things in a balance. Um, In Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 10, God says, remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Now, two of the most important historical confessions in Christianity are the Westminster Confession and the 1689 London Baptist Confession. And I would like to read um, from that confession of what um, the theologians of that time said, and I heartily agree with it. It says, from all eternity, God decreed everything that occurs without reference to anything outside of himself. He did this by the perfectly wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably. Yet God did this in such a way that he is neither the author of sin nor has fellowship with sin um, in any way. Now, he goes on to the confession goes on to say God knows everything that could happen under any given condition. However, his decree of anything is not based on foreseeing it in the future. And that's what this text teaches. So what do I mean? A lot of people think God knows the future because he knows all things, or that something like God can look through the annals of time and see the end, and he knows what's going to happen. But that's not what this passage teaches, nor is it what the confessions teach. God knows all things the future and everything, not because he foresees it merely in some sort of divine crystal ball. He knows the future because he's the author of it. He is directing absolutely everything. And we see this actually in the book of Revelation when John weeps that there is no one to administrate the plan of God on the earth. And then he's told to look at the lamb who begins to open the seals. Jesus Christ, our brother, the son of God, God in the flesh, sits at the right hand of God, and he administrates as Lord of Lord and King of Kings absolutely everything. There is not a maverick molecule. 
There is no king or nation that's off his leash. He rules over all. And everything will come to an end exactly as he has planned it. Not merely as he has foreseen it, but as he has authored it. Now, that's a biblical truth and it's undeniable. But here's what we need to see. Some people may hear that and go, well, then what we do doesn't matter. Or prayer, how can it matter? And here's what I want you to see. Sometimes in historical, biblical Christianity, you and I have to act like children. We have to affirm two different truths that we can't quite fully comprehend or put together in our mind. For example, is God one? Absolutely, he is one. Are there three persons who are distinct, but one, and really and truly God? Absolutely. Can we explain all that? No. So as believers, we we look at this world, and it is so, it's in such turmoil, such pain. It seems like evil is running wild. But as a believer, we draw strength from the fact that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he doesn't merely just know what's going to happen. He's directing it. Yet at the same time, we can't be passive because God does carry out those decrees through prayer. And although we can say that God has decreed everything that will happen, we can also affirm with James that we have not because we ask not. Now, I have studied theology for nearly 30 years. Can I, um, can I explain all that to you? No, I, I cannot. But I can tell you this, as a child, as a believer, I can tell you that Scripture tells me to rest in the fact that God is sovereign, and, and Scripture also tells me to pray, 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 because I have not, because I do not ask. It's not for me or you to know absolutely everything about the great mysteries of God, because if we did, they wouldn't be mysteries. For you and I, it's to know the will of God and obey it. And if we pray, prayer will change things. So in this same passage in Isaiah that talks about the sovereignty of God, we just go over a few chapters to chapter 62 Verses 6 and 7, and God says this, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All day and night they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourself and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in all the earth. Now, we all know that God is omniscient and doesn't need to be reminded. And that here we have a text that is speaking to us anthropomorphically, using human terms. But what he's saying is the same thing Jesus taught in in Luke chapter 18. And that is, pray, pray, pray. Do not cease from praying, because our prayers matter. When we go into the book of Revelation, we find out that even our imperfect praying matters, because As the Puritans used to say, Christ takes our prayers and sanctifies them and then brings them before the throne of God. 
And so what I want to encourage you in is not just prayer, but perseverance in prayer. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, everybody starts praying, but not many persevere in prayer. We are to remind the Lord, not of um, our necessarily our desires or some plan that we've come up with, but we're to remind the Lord of his word. We are to remind the Lord of what he promised. Here at Heart Cry, in almost every prayer meeting, almost every day, you hear things like from Malachi, that, Lord, you promised that your name would be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. We are calling upon you. We are reminding you about that promise that it might be fulfilled or that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Lord, you said that. Or that there would be, before the throne of Christ, there would be people groups and nations. There would be different languages. All the peoples of the world, from them you would gather a people for your son. Oh Lord, you promised that. And even when we're in a time of trial and struggle and we don't know which way to go, we don't know how the Lord will deliver us. We don't know how much suffering we'll need to endure before he does deliver us. But we can count on the fact he will deliver us. If you have any doubts about that, read Psalms 119, the longest chapter in the Bible that talks a great deal about the word of God. But constantly the psalmist there is reminding God, Lord, save me according to your word. Act according to your word. And that should be really our prayer. God, don't act according to my plan. Don't act according to my wisdom. I praise God for many of the prayers and desires that the Lord did not answer positively on my behalf because I was wrong. But Lord, according to your word, give the nations to your son. Sanctify your people. Bring revival. So I think I had five or ten minutes and I've uh, finished with my, uh, my little exhortation. I hope it's been helpful. I have to go now and discuss the matter that... Uh, that I asked you to pray about, and that's uh, Ukraine and, and trying to find a way to help God's people. So please be in prayer. And again, thank you for this great opportunity.